Let the church say praise the Lord. God is good all the time. Aren't you thankful for this great Thanksgiving weekend? Come on, celebrate. Praise the goodness of God. Aren't you thankful for this team? And we're thankful for you, Chad. Aren't you glad to have Chad back? It's like his third week now. Give him some love. So good to have you, man. Father, we bow our heads now. We humble our hearts just to tell you that we're grateful. And if we're not, oh God, I ask that by, by the time this worship celebration is over, our hearts will be overflowing with gratitude. God, I know there's a lot going on in the world today and there's a lot of things that are messed up about the world, but there's a lot of good in the world and it starts and ends with you. And we thank you, Father God, that you gave us this great land to live in. We thank you for this beautiful fall weather. We thank you for the air that we are breathing right now. We thank you for the church, God, that we live in the land of the free where we can gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and we can worship you. We can receive Holy Communion together. And we can do our very best to allow the Holy Spirit to come into us and we can build our lives upon you. May that be so, Father God, for every single person within the sound of my voice. Be glorified in what we say and what we do today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Turn and greet somebody before you sit down and tell them how good it is to be in church with them. Well, I got to tell you, this is, a, this is a good Thanksgiving crowd. You never know what to expect on Thanksgiving weekend, but I think you probably uh, knew that we were going to have Holy Communion, and then you just want to worship the Lord today. So I'm so very glad you are here. Can we welcome those who are online? Come on and give it up and welcome them. So uh, yesterday I, I was driving down to Sanford and I, I had a wedding. I, I married Mike and Fran Helpingstein's uh, youngest boy, Michael Helpingstein, and his beautiful wife, Montana. And these are everywhere, but yesterday I just happened to really notice them. Um, it's these strips that are on the side of the road, and they're in the middle of the road now. They're, they're called bumper strips. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're, or sleep alerts. It's these, it's these little grooves that they put on the sides of the roads now, and in the middle of the road. And, and I don't know about you, but like I can't stand them. I can't stand them. And, and these were so hard. It's like if you get, and, and I like to kind of, I kind of drive, I'm a free spirit when I drive. Except when a car is coming my way, you know what I'm saying? But, but those keep you, they keep you in the middle. And um, I was just thinking about that yesterday. That, that's really what Paul has been doing in this letter to Galatians. He's, he's putting up some bumper strips. And he's saying to them, hey, you need to stay in the lane. You need to make sure you get the gospel right. Because, you know, if you don't have those bumper strips and you fall asleep and you end up in a ditch, it's bad news. I did a little research because I was just fascinated with these things. Um, did you know that ever since they started putting those on roads, accidents, fatalities have decreased by 29%? Now, like I said, I don't like them, but they obviously work. 
Paul comes in and he's saying, hey, here's where we need to stay. This is the gospel message. And it's what we've been looking at for three weeks now. This is our fourth week. Here's the working definition out loud together, church. Here we go. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. What did he do? Died for my sins. What did he do? Rose from the dead so that by anyone who puts in him will be made right with God and enjoy everlasting life on earth and in heaven forever. Let the church say praise the Lord. The gospel definition. And Paul comes in and he is slinging it and he's bringing it. He's hacked off. Judaizers have come into the church. They're perverting the gospel. They're adding all kinds of Jewish dietary customs. They're adding circumcision. They're trying to bring in some of these 600 laws that the Old Testament people were trying to live by. And Paul comes in and he says, no, we have to stay focused on the gospel. And in Galatians 5, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Galatians. Chapter 5, we're at the end of the book. Verse 1, it is for, verse 5, it is for freedom that Christ has what? Set us free. Then what does he say? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. And he says, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Verse 12. As for those agitators, <laughs> I wish they would go the whole way. <laughs> you didn't know some of this was in the Bible, did you? I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Let the church say, ouch. I guess now is a good time to go ahead and um, address the topic that I've told you I was going to mention the last couple weeks, um, and that is this topic of Paul bringing some heat to the Galatian church, and the truth is, for some of you, and, and, and I will admit it, sometimes when I'm reading, I'm like, ow, Paul, and we find it kind of abrasive. We find it kind of hardcore, and we wonder, how is that in the scriptures? For example, just by way of review, Galatians 1, 6 and 7, remember week one, four weeks ago? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. I am what? Astonished. The word astonished, you can tell it's a strong English word, but if you're studying in the Greek, I can't even overemphasize 
the emphatic nature at which Paul is saying, how dare you pervert the gospel? Then in Galatians 1.9, he says, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under what? God's curse. Find it a little abrasive, do we not? In chapter 2, he calls them hypocrites, and then he confronts Peter to his face. He kind of sidesteps Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 18 says, confront a brother or a sister one-on-one. <laughs> Paul says, no, 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 I'm, I'm confronting him in public. Now keep in mind, Galatians is written before Matthew. Get, make sure you got the history right. Galatians is an early book. It's one of the earliest books we have in the New Testament, written somewhere around 15 to 16 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But Paul comes into a gathering, a church conference, and he confronts Peter up in the space with everybody watching. In Galatians chapter 3, he calls them fools. You fools for letting somebody come in and pervert the gospel. He puts it like this. He says, you foolish Galatians. And he goes back to that multiple times. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, we just read it, but one more time for, for the sake of emphasis. As for those who are troubling you, oh, that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What in the world is going on here? Why is Paul so passionate about the purity of the gospel? There were two dangers that were impacting the church significantly. Two dangers that threatened the Christian church and the gospel and the freedom that we have in Christ. The first was the acceptance of Jewish nomism. Nomism. Nomism was a lifestyle for Gentile Christians, which in effect brought them right back to the basic question of whether righteousness was gained by works of the law or whether it was gained through grace by faith in Jesus Christ. It's attacking the very bedrock foundation of the gospel. And the second was the corruption of the Christian life by reliance on the flesh rather than the spirit. And so Paul comes out, both barrels ablazing, and he's correcting the church. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that most of us struggle with that kind of correcting. So what I want to talk to you about ever so briefly today is the difference between being nice and being kind. Being what? Nice and being kind. I would submit to you that Paul does not care one ounce about being nice. And I would submit to you that in our culture, there's a lot of niceness going on that is very shallowy, very thin, and is not really authentic. You ever had somebody be nice to you and they're nice to your face? This happens all the time, right? Oh, they're so nice to your face. But what do they do when they get behind your back? They stab you in your back. It's very popular today. You have people who are very, very nice, but what do they have a tendency to do? They get on a keyboard, and they hide behind a computer screen, and they troll you, and they cause all kind of havoc in your life and in your world. Paul does not care about being nice. 
But I would submit to you, and we'll get to this actual fruit of the Spirit at the end of the message today. I would submit to you that Paul is being kind. He cares about the things of God. He cares about the eternal destiny that they are messing with. He is addressing the culture that we live in today, and I don't know if it was going on back then, but I would imagine it was. In fact, I know it was. When we get to Corinthians, he starts correcting them around the Lord's Supper. They lived in the same kind of world we do. If it feels good, what? Do it. This is popular in our day and age. You do you. Right? You do you. Don't worry about it. Here's one. Well, that's, that's good for you. I'm glad that's truth for you. Let me tell you about my truth. Always failing to realize that you can't have two diametrically opposed truths and they both be true. But in our culture, that is what has happened. And the last thing we ever want to hear in our culture is someone correcting us. Let me talk to you for a moment about preaching and the church. Young person, please listen. But I must say it's not just for young people. It's for all of us. There are great preachers preaching the gospel all over the globe these days, seven days a week, and you can listen to them at any point in time on your phone, right? And it's great. Like, I do it. But the problem in this day and age is that if you're not careful, you will actually jump from one preacher to the next preacher to the next preacher to the next preacher on your phone but never lock into a local church where there is biblical correction. This is very, very common today. And Paul is saying there is a place for correction. We just can't take a little good from this preacher and a little good from that preacher and a little good from this. I was at the wedding yesterday and I, and I talked to this guy. He he. he well, I'm not going to say what he does because I would give it away. He, he, there was this guy that I was talking to, and, and, and we were talking about church. And he goes, I, I, didn't know him, I didn't know him from Adam. And he goes, yeah, I listen to you on Wednesday mornings when I work out. And then he goes, I listen to such and such on Thursday. And I listen to such and such on Sunday. And I listen to such and such on Monday. And I said, well, where do you go to church? He goes, I don't go to church. And I said, there it is. There it is. Please don't mishear me. There are great preachers and there's nothing wrong with listening to a lot of them. I do as well. But what Paul is reminding us is we need to submit to a local church and be open to correction. And in this day and age, no one seems to be open to correction. Paul does not care about being nice, but oh my Lord, he is being kind. He cares about the things of God. He cares about the eternal destiny of this church that he started. And let me tell you something. This is not just related to the church. This is related to our country. I was at lunch um, with a good friend. He's a, a great person in this church, great leader. His name is Bruce Hollis. And we were talking about how soft America has come. Come on. Is it okay? Y'all sure? Because this ain't, this, this ain't really gospel-centered. This is just America-centered. But America is losing its edge when it comes to toughness. 
America is losing its edge. I, I, I call it, forgive me, the wussification of America. Oh, yes, I did. And what's happening in our culture is that we are losing our edge and we are losing our ability to be corrected and we're losing our ability to work hard. And if I can just meddle a little bit more in Americanism, and y'all know I don't like to mix the two, but what's, what's quite difficult in our country today is that you have a governmental system, hello, that awards complacency and laziness and makes it more advantageous for some folks to stay home as opposed to getting up and going to work. <laughs> it has me deeply concerned about our country. Not long ago on the national news, David Muir said this, 4.4 million people quit their jobs in September. 4.4 of September of this year. I was in a restaurant not long ago and I saw a sign. It said, be kind. The world is understaffed. Have you, have you noticed what has happened to the workforce in America? Have you noticed what has happened to customer service in America? And part of it is very much related to this idea that we don't want to work hard anymore and we don't want to be course corrected anymore. And going back to the gospel, right? You know that's where I always hang out. So thank you for letting me just meddle a little bit in some of the problems in our country. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Verse five, chapter five, verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? Free. Look at your neighbor and say, free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in. Now, the reason this is important, because Paul is being kind, but he's being hard. He's bringing the heat. But he's reminding us that we always do it in what? Love. So important. Give you another example. I think about Jesus. Remember Jesus in the temple? He comes into the temple. They've turned his father's house into a den of robbers. Do you remember this? Some of us read this and we have, this is hard to deal with. Like we, we sometimes picture Jesus like, you know, Mr. Rogers cardigan sweater on won't you be my neighbor and Jesus comes into the temple and look at what the word of the Lord says Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves it is written he said to them my house will be called a house of what prayer but you are making it a den of robbers John's gospel adds another little nugget of information Chapter 2, verse 15, so he, Jesus, made a what? A whip of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Kind of messes with your view of Jesus, doesn't it? But what's going on? It's righteous anger. There is a place for righteous anger. Now, be careful with it. <laughs> I must tell you that most of the times when I get angry, it's not righteous. 
So I have to be very careful with this one. If you're not careful, you'll start justifying a lot of, come on, unrighteous anger. But that's what's going on in Galatia. Paul is hacked off, righteously so. And he is not being nice about it, but I would submit again, he is being very kind. Back to Galatians 5 as we turn our attention towards the table. Verse 16 of chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now Paul starts to, to juxtapose walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh. Or as some people have referred to in the past, the old man and the new man. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul's right there. I've been talking a lot about freedom in this series. Talking a lot about what we're saved from. And we're not saved upon any works righteousness. Amen, church? We're not saved about, upon anything that we do. But here at the end of the chapter, Paul is wanting us to get it straight. That does not mean that you have a license to do whatever you want to do as a Christian. Watch how he threads this needle. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh, remember he talks about the flesh and the Spirit, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. If he hasn't gotten to you yet, don't worry, he's going to get to you. <laughs> he's, covering, he's covering it all. Dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, why don't we read this next part, go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. There it is, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Let's continue. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, watch this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the what? Spirit, let us keep in. Remember, I've been talking to y'all about like walking with the Holy Spirit is like a dance. And Paul says here, keep in step with the Spirit. Open yourself up to the Spirit. Keep praying that the Spirit would become alive in your life. He says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Very, very powerful scripture. And a very important caution as we've been camping out on being saved by grace through faith. All based upon what he has done. We don't add to the gospel. We don't take anything away from the gospel. But if you're not careful when you start to really get a hold of that, it's a slippery slope to just create a licensing to do whatever you want to do. And Paul says, no, no, no. And he talks about this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. 
Let me talk to you a little bit about those. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know if you ever looked at them closely, but the first three fruit of the Spirit, and notice it is fruit of the Spirit and not fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because fruit is one. It all comes from this idea of love that comes down to us from God, the love of God. Once we received it and we're saved, we, we, we see God create fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The first three, love, joy, and peace, concern our relationship to God, right? Love, joy, and peace. He is our first love, amen? He is our first love, and only to the extent to which we experience his love are we able to love other people the right way, and we're able to experience peace and joy. The next three fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, and goodness, describe our relationship with other people. So how are you doing with patience? <laughs> See, the great thing about this fruit of the Spirit is that it allows us to take inventory as we wrap up this series. Does anybody here struggle with patience? Oh, my Lord. Can I just, can I, can I, you're my people. Any of you ever feel like, like, I've been thinking about this lately as I've been dealing, as I've been going back out in the public and, and, and getting around a lot of people, because a lot of people are out now. Have you had this thought, COVID changed me? Like, I'll get around a bunch of people now, and I'm not patient. Anybody with me? And then as I talked about earlier, the service industry, customer service is at an all-time low. And so it takes a lot of patience to live in this world. It's like, God, give me patience, but hurry up. Give me patience with all these people. And guess what? Christmas is coming. So what does that mean? Crowds only increase. Traffic only increases. People who can't drive increase. I'm in a meddling mood today. Can I just meddle a little bit more? <laughs> Roundabouts. Listen, people. Roundabouts are not stop signs. <laughs> Listen. Y'all have heard me go off on the left lane before. Like, I'm such a sinner. If I find somebody in the left lane and, and they're doing like 45 and the speed limit is 65, I have all kinds. Of, I, I imagine there's buttons on my steering wheel that I can push and just blow them up. I'm a sinner, man. I need God. I need the gospel. And now roundabouts are everywhere. We're copying Europe, so we have roundabouts everywhere. If you, ha if you haven't been told this, roundabout, you keep moving. Just keep moving. You only, you only stop. I need to move on. I need to move on back to the message. You only stop when you have to. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. If you're anything like me, man, you study these and you're like, I, I need you, God. I need, I need help. And the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, check it out, describe principles that guide a Christian's conduct. So again, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you can write this in your margins or just as you study the fruit of the Spirit from here on out, you'll, you'll pick up on this. The first three are about our relationship with God. The second three are about our relationships with one another. And the final three 
are about like the conduct, the way I'm supposed to live my life, faithfulness, gentleness. Anybody need some work in the area of gentleness? Self-control. Anybody need any work in the area of self-control? So Paul gets to the end of this book and he, he talks to us about what it looks like to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And then I'm gonna end with this passage. It's Galatians 6, very last chapter of Galatians, verses seven through 10. Let's read it out loud nice and strong as we move towards the table. Go. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap what? Eternal life. Then he says this. Let us not become weary in what? That's a good verse right there. Let us not become weary in what? Guys, the world needs us to do good. Just, what was it, Friday? Maybe you heard. We had a shooting at South Point Mall. Last week in Wisconsin, there was a Christmas parade where a guy ran through the Christmas parade, killing five and injuring 40. What is happening in this world? I'll tell you what's happening. The scriptures are being fulfilled. And it's all the more reason why we should not grow weary in doing good. It's all the more reason to realize and remember what we do matters. How we interact with people. How we serve people. How we smile at people. How we love people matters. So he says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, this is good, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, I love this next part. Listen, church, this is for us. Let us do good to who? Now that we know, but I love this last part because I love the church, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's you. That's me. That's the people around you, in front of you, behind you. We are family. And we serve one another. And we gather at this table. And it's been way too long since we've done this, by the way. But hey, we've lived through a couple of challenging years. But today, we get to gather at the table of the Lord, and we get to celebrate Holy Communion, and we get to remember we are family. And so on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke the bread. He said, take, eat, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood. 
which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of what he has done, we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. We receive a piece of bread and a cup of juice. For some of you, you know what this is all about. For some of you, you might not be real clear. What is that all about? It's called the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament. A sacrament means God's good gift. And it's a piece of bread that represents what he did for us on the cross. When he spread wide his arms and he said, I am dying. I'm laying down my life for you. You don't take it. I lay it down for you. And he shed his blood on that cross. And for 2,000 years, the family of God has gathered around and received a piece of bread and a cup of juice to remind us, one, of what he has done for us. He's a good God. Amen? Amen. Two, to remind us that we are family. And so we're going to bring these elements to you today. You're not going to have to move. And we are going to bring them to you in these individually packaged communion elements. On the top, there's a little thin filament that you will pull off and there's a wafer underneath that. And then underneath that, you'll pull it one more time and there will be the juice. They're gonna come out and sing for us in just a moment. And we're gonna take these elements to you up there in the balcony and you folks down here. Don't receive yet. You know, when your family, at least when you're on your A game, when you go to the table, you, you kind of wait for everybody else to get to the table. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Sometimes if they're in the kitchen, I'll sneak a bite, you know. <laughs> but today, let's wait on one another. By the way, you, you, you ought to read it later. In fact, I, I have it here. I'm not gonna read it to you, but, but Paul actually goes after this pretty hard in 1 Corinthians 11 where he, he talks about communion and he corrects them there as well. He says, what is wrong with you? Some of you are getting drunk at the communion table. Corinthian church was all messed up. They were going to the elements. They were drinking the wine and getting drunk. He says, some of you are eating all the bread. Don't you have food in your homes? Go read it. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 11. He's basically saying, no, 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 no. This is a sacrament. Let's receive it together. Let's receive it in a responsible way. And I actually will read this for you, though. Verse 27, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Listen closely. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, a number of you have died. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you shall all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. It's a serious sacrament. So let's receive it together. Can I invite you to examine yourself? Can I invite you to have some moments with God. We call it communion. 
because it's a time to commune with God. If there's parts of your life that need to be confessed and repentance needs to happen, this is a great time to do it. I will be examining my life with you. If there are areas of your life that you want to give to God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the nine fruit of the Spirit, is there one or two or three that you could use a little help on? Yeah, me too. In this moment, as you hold this, and they sing over us, stay seated, commune with God. And when I feel like everybody has received the elements in your hand, I will come back out, and we will take together. Amen? This is the body of Christ, broken for you. The precious blood of Christ, shed for you. Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this holy mystery, this sacrament in which you have given yourself to us. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for this family of believers. And I ask, oh God, that we would commune with you right now. You are sovereign and you know what we need. And so God, I pray for every single person here. God, we have joys, we have hurts, we have victories, we have defeats. But at the end of the day, oh God, we have you and we have one another. We're the family of God. And I thank you for this table and I thank you for this gathering. Father, for those who are at home, if they feel led, may they grab a piece of bread and some juice or wine. May you connect us through this sacrament of holy communion. Meet with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
as the last few people receive. So you'll notice at the very top, there's this thin filament, if you will, that you just pull back. You'll know you've gone too far if you see the juice. Take out the wafer. The body of Christ, broken, bruised, battered, and beaten for you. God's love poured out in and through his one and only son. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Go to that next level down. The blood of Christ drawn from Emmanuel's veins poured out for the forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't know if you've ever been saved, this moment right now, I've always believed this about Holy Communion. It, it can be a converting sacrament. In this moment, humble your heart, quiet your mind. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sin. I wanna be born again today. And then you receive, and as you digest the body and the blood of Christ, it can be a defining moment for you to give your life to Christ for the first time, or if you're like me, you've given your life to Christ so many times with Holy Communion. In fact, why don't we just pray? I'm gonna follow the Spirit here. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, come into us. We receive you in our innermost being through the elements of bread and wine representing the body and the blood of Christ. God, as we read that text earlier from Galatians and Paul lists all these things that, that we tend to do in the flesh. We need your grace. So we plead the blood of Jesus and we ask you to forgive us. And Father, as we look at those nine fruit of the Spirit, every single person here, me included, God, has areas where we need your power to be manifested in our lives. Why don't you take a moment right now as we just pause, we have plenty of time, and ask God to help you with those particular fruit of the Spirit that you need help with? Is it love? Is it joy? Do you need more peace in your life? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness? Do you need more gentleness in your life? Self-control. Commune with God. 
Give your life to God. And let him know which fruit you need help with. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment. And sometimes we don't know what to pray, so we thank you that you taught us to pray. 2,000 years ago, when you said to the disciples and you say to us, when you pray, pray out loud saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever that the people of God say together, amen. The blood of Christ shed for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.